0: welcome to the RSP cast film and theory Adam Harstead Matt Waldman thanks again for joining us and today we're going to we're going to discuss two topics we're going to we have a um a fun twitter debate involving a pair of young wide receivers that we're going to get to first and then after that we're going to talk about some unanswered questions which i know are in you know heavy supply right now after week one but just some of our favorite unanswered questions that that we're interested in seeing how teams answer that and how that may impact our fantasy season so adam you know you mentioned the that there was a debate on you have a debate going on twitter tell us a little bit about that and you you know kind of the, the you know i don't know i'm i'm still waking up tell us about that
1: yeah, so Zay Flowers obviously had a really great game for the Baltimore Ravens this last weekend, um, and I liked Flowers a lot coming in. You know, I love receivers with first-round capital. The NFL is giving them their seal of approval. Um, a lot of the guys who I like to evaluate talent, and and they were saying good things about Flowers. I really like what was coming out of um, camp about Baltimore's offense, um, trying to modernize a bit more and be a bit more pass-heavy and kind of exploit a broader range of Lamar Jackson's strengths maybe than they have in the past, um so I liked in theory flowers I was a big flowers fan, and then he had a big game, which realistically not it's not like the biggest game ever he had i think eighty seven yards um the team you know got up and and ran a pretty run heavy game script. I think they only threw like eighteen or twenty pass attempts um he had Maybe half of the team's receiving yards, but it was an 87-yard game, which for a rookie in his first game, that's really nice to see, but it's not, like, the biggest game ever. And so then people were discussing, um, like, what would you give for Zay Flowers and Dynasty right now? And somebody ran a series of polls, and some of them were pretty interesting, you know, would you prefer Zay Flowers or Christian Watson? That's, I think, a really interesting debate to have. Um, would you prefer Zay Flowers or Calvin Ridley? You know, this gets a lot into the importance of current production versus, because I, I think everybody there agrees that Ridley's gonna be much more productive this year and that Flowers at 23, I think he is, has potentially a much longer career ahead of him. Um, but the one that really caught my eye was, would you prefer Drake London or Zay Flowers? And Flowers was getting like 60% and I'm I'm like, what are we doing here? So I just dashed off a quick tweet that said, I am literally begging you not to trade Drake London for Zay Flowers in your Dynasty Leagues, please. And that was the tweet. And, like, my Twitter mentions blew up, and that was, like, the whole thing for the whole day. Um, And I started digging into this rabbit hole, and it turns out that, like, Drake London's value is in freefall in Dynasty Leagues right now. Like, some of the things that people are trading Drake London for after his admittedly bad and disappointing game in Week 1 are... like, shocking. Like, I saw somebody who added an extra rookie pick in order to trade Drake London for Romeo Dobbs. Which, what are we doing here? Uh, And so I kind of wanted to talk, I I was using that as a launching point for how I play Dynasty. And how I play Dynasty is not the only way to play Dynasty, obviously. there's The the thing I love about Dynasty is that there's millions of ways to play it. Um, One of the most fun articles I wrote, our buddy Jason Wood, was managing his dynasty team in our staff league in a way that I thought was unoptimal. Oh, you know, you're trading like young wide receivers for older running backs. And, um, he's, and and I, so I wrote an article, like, these are all of these classic rookie mistakes that Jason Wood is making in dynasty. (laughs) And then the punchline was Wood went like 11 and two that year and dominated and had like the highest score by like 200 points won a championship running away and then so I'm like so the takeaway here is like you don't need to to listen to me Jason Wood's not listening to me Jason Wood's doing just fine he can play Dynasty his way and he's wildly successful with it and that's great but if you follow me I'm going to tell you how I play my way I'm going to tell you what works for me I think it's the optimal way or I wouldn't be playing that way but I want to recognize and acknowledge that there's other ways to play and I think the most popular style right now is kind of like Treating treating it like a day trader. You get players, it's very buy low, sell high. Um, you know, oh, Drake London's value is trending down. Like, he had, a, he had a good rookie season, sure. He had great draft capital. He was a great prospect, sure. But he had a really disappointing game. We're very scared about that offense. You know, Bijan's going to be getting a lot of targets. Maybe there's not going to be as much left for Drake London. We don't really care what he did last year. I'm betting that his value is going to go down. So I'm going to sell him now. Before that value goes down. Um, And I have two problems with this. One is that, first of all, it's often a self-fulfilling prophecy. If everybody wants to sell, his value is already down. Like, if everybody agrees a guy's a sell, he's not a sell anymore. Because his, his value's gone. When you get to the point where, like you're you're so focused on the action like what i have to do is sell drake london right now that you're not even looking at the price you get into situations where you're trading drake london in a second for romeo dots that's not his value is not going to go down from there you've already reached the floor of his value so there's no sense in selling now you might as well hold at that price and then the second thing that I get into. And this gets into the difference between like projections and heuristics. So heuristics are rules of thumb. I always say I'm a very heuristic-based manager. I have my rules of thumb that I'm building my team by, um, whereas projections are more like you're trying to predict specifically what's going to happen. And the projections crowd doesn't really see a path for Drake London. The projections crowd is sitting and saying, okay, if we give Atlanta 450 pass attempts, and we give Bijan a 12% receiving target market share, and then we assume that Kyle Pitts gets this, and we do this and this and this, and okay, Drake London's going to finish the year with 700 yards. You know, and I'm like, well, okay, but what if he does better? And they're like, okay, well, if I massage my numbers, I think I can squeeze an extra 100 years, but there's just no way for Drake London to finish with more than 800 yards. Like, I'm looking at the numbers, there's just no path there. Whereas heuristics, I get to say things like, Talented players tend to produce. And I look at Drake London and I say, is he talented? Yes, he was my favorite wide receiver in the last class. I think he was most people's favorite wide receiver in the last class. Or if not their favorite, then like co-favorite near the top of their board. Number two at worst
0: for me was number two. Right.
1: Um, If you look at like over the last five draft classes, um, he's not a Jamar Chase level prospect, but he's probably pretty universally considered in like that next tier You know, some guys had like Olave and Garrett Wilson, and he's in this like incredible prospect tier. Was his rookie year good? Um, The raw numbers were not huge, but if you adjust for the fact that Atlanta threw barely any pass attempts, and um, you look at things like yards per route run, I have a I have a model that just like compares rookie season production of all receivers since two thousand six, and I have I think one hundred seventy eight qualifying receivers right now, and Drake London's rookie year ranked twelfth. It was a phenomenal rookie year when you consider the context that he was playing in. Um, One of the best rookie years, and this is an incredibly predictive model, basically like if you are in the top 30 as a rookie on this model, 90, 95% of the time you go on to be a future NFL superstar. And so I'm looking at he was one of the best prospects of the last half decade. He had one of the best rookie seasons of the last half decade by heuristics, like everything is telling me there's, there's giant neon signs blaring above Drake London's head that says this guy is probably a superstar, right? He's probably going to have a very long and productive and fantastic career. These are the kinds of guys you want on your dynasty team. Um, I like Flowers, but I don't think he was as good of a prospect. I don't think that, I mean, obviously one game is not as impressive as an entire season, and the ironic thing about the game is it was like basically a classic Drake London game. You're like, I don't want Drake London. I want a guy whose team is gonna throw 20 times and he's gonna have forty-five percent of the targets and finish with 80 yards. Congratulations, you just described Drake London. Like that's what Zay Flowers did, is he had like a classic Drake London and Atlanta game. Um so yeah, I just wanted, especially after week one, I think that's when the difference between me and the projection-based managers becomes most apparent because they're plugging in all the numbers from the first week and they're saying, well, like, this is what everything looks like and I'm going to react strongly to that. Um, But I think this is like the most important time of the year to focus on the fundamentals and say, I don't know what it looks like in Atlanta. And I don't have to know what it looks like. Like I didn't know what it was going to look like for AJ Brown when he was drafted to a Tennessee Titans team that was consistently among the last in the league in pass attempts and had Marcus Mariota at quarterback and Mariota was stagnating and trending down and they had Corey Davis entering his third year, and Corey Davis was very highly regarded and trending up. I didn't know what the path to relevance for A.J. Brown is. I just knew that if A.J. Brown is good, he's going to find his way. He's going to find the path. I I like to use the quote from Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park, that life finds a way. I don't know how that talented player is going to start producing. But over time, the NFL shows us again and again and again and again, talented players produce... And usually they're not taking the path that we anticipate to get there. You know, nobody thought that A.J. Brown was going to be traded to the Eagles. And also nobody thought that Devontae Smith was going to smash, even though the Eagles are a low-volume passing team who just traded for A.J. Brown. But if players are good, they tend to produce. And and Drake London, everything I see about him now just tells me that he is a great receiver. So I would still probably have him... um, maybe in like the 12 to 15 range in Dynasty. And I like Flowers a lot. Maybe I have Flowers around 18 or 20, but to me, London's younger than Flowers. He is as best as I can tell better than Flowers. Um, They both, neither is going to be extremely productive this year, given the context of the offense they're in. So it's not like either is going to help you win a championship in 2023. I just, what are we doing here? I I don't know. Maybe you see it differently. You scout these players. You probably have a much stronger opinion on London versus Flowers. Do you, I would be curious to know if you think it's as crazy as I am that this is now apparently the consensus thing that people would rather have Zay Flowers than Drake
0: London. I think it's, I think it's a great topic. And I, the first thing that comes to mind is um, I think we need to change how dynasty leagues are played. And instead of giving a cash prize to the winner of that year's championship, we need to say, oh, you want to be a dynasty? Okay, so you must win at least three titles within a span of X number of years in order to win the money. And if no one qualifies for that, the money just stays in the pot and rolls over for the next year and the next year and the next year. And until there's a true dynasty, um, you know, no one wins. No one wins the main cash prize for the title. And to me, that that would that would be the truest nature of that. Of course, you know, um, when it comes to how we actually play and how most people will wanna do it. Um, I think I'm gonna start a league like that. I think I'm I think I actually want to start a league like that now that come to think of it, because that would be that would be killer <laughs> and, and uh just imagine the teams that are on the precipice. Imagine if like two teams meet who have won two championships in the span of like six years and you've had six years of cash prizes invested in that and now it comes down to one game i mean i think people would be basket cases you know playing in a league like that um, i've it... heard stories um there are a couple <laughs> leagues like that and i've heard that like you'll
1: get there, are like two two-time champions out there and one of them's having like a down year And he'll, like, trade all of his, like, aging players to, like, the best team in the league that doesn't have any championships. Just just because he wants to block. (laughs) Not even split the pot. He just wants to block that, like, the other guy who's at two championships. Like, oh, he's got a real shot this year. I've got to spike his tires and then, like, survive for another year. Wow. Yeah. Like, the strategy there in terms of, like. And I don't like that. I I feel like manage your team. Yeah, get your wins. I hate when people are trying to to manage other people's teams and get like wins and losses yeah. for other teams. But I do think that like it's so fascinating. Yeah. Like how, yes, they're basket cases. People are like obsessing over things and they're doing things that have such a low percentage chance of a payout just because. Yeah. You know the, the prize is just getting so big. It and I don't in, like.
0: Turns into mean yeah. girls, you know, as opposed. I don't. To, I don't yeah. like
1: playing for big money because. People get crazy, you know yeah. people like friends get crazy it does you know I relationships. like
0: relationships that's true,
1: I like playing for enough where it's like fun, you know, like you okay i'm I'll have a nice date night with my wife with this, like I, something fun will happen if I win this league, but nothing bad's gonna happen if I don't win this league
0: yes i I think that's that's true, very true, so you know, in terms of the the overall question, yeah, I mean I think it's fascinating that yeah, if you play to win now and you feel like you have the negotiation skills, the, the lineup skills and the ability to identify, you know, trends up and down and play the stock market with your team, then in order to win, then you're probably on the edge of your team not being relevant every year or every other year, um, because you're like like Wood, trading for aging certain aging positions, you know, and and saying, okay, I'm just gonna roll with that in that style. I get that. So there you know, I like that you acknowledge that, and I would agree with that now, in terms of London and flowers um I totally agree with you that people are panicking about Drake London. I also would say I totally agree with them that London and flowers on in a vacuum are even in terms of how I view them. But it's because I, when I graded them, I had London just slightly higher than Flowers. I mean, so much, so slight that it's it's almost it's essentially a tie. They're different receivers too, like you. you and so it really comes down to function in the offense right now. If you're talking about what they can do right now for you, um, but in the future, you, you know, I would say you don't want to be too far down on London for the exact same things. I use the same heuristic when I look at guys like. Justin Jefferson and AJ Brown when they were rookies when I thought about fit because it's like they're talented players they're gonna, the teams either the team drafted them highly so the struggling quarterback won't be here for much longer if they're going to if they're still here that coach who keeps putting Drake London on the left side of the field when they have a quarterback who will only throw to the right side of the field? Because I just actually did a film room on Desmond Ritter and the Falcons offense yesterday, and I charted all sorts of things. Like I charted how many receivers were going out in the routes, how many times they were the first um first look on a in, in a progression. Um how many times you, you know um how many times Atlanta through to the right, middle, or left side in different quadrants of the field. What percentage of the time each of these receivers were on certain sides of the field and where they ran their routes. And Drake London ran, hit 77% of his routes on the left side of the field and a vast majority, I think there were three targets that were actually to the left side of the field in that game. Um, And the rest was in the middle and also Desmond Ritter you know, the big thing about Ritter is he comes off his first read too early sometimes, and then he he waits too long, and he does others. So what that really answers is that he's not seeing and understanding how to process the leverage of defenders on receivers and coverage at an NFL level right now. Um, and they're also running a lot of static routes that work, that just basically terminate at one point, because I believe and I you know, you would have somebody would have to ask Arthur Smith this, but I would I believe they're doing this because they they're afraid that if their receivers cross multiple windows of zone, with Desmond Ritter's inability to actually see the field at the level that he needs to at this point, that his point of development, that he's gonna throw a lot more interceptions. And he's thrown some careless footballs, even though he has not thrown a single interception since he became the starter. Um and But you also see that his efficiency with yardage is very low. So that means he's not taking many chances. Um, he's getting sacked a fair bit um, because he's not taking chances. And he's not even reading the field well pre-snap. So there's a lot of opportunities that Drake London with a veteran quarterback with skills, a veteran starter quarterback, where Drake London would be awesome. But he's he's basically locked up. I mean, Kyle Pitts and him are locked up and the and that and I think it's going to probably be that way the rest of the year if if Desmond Ritter doesn't improve dramatically and Desmond Ritter um is still the quarterback um there're not many ch- choices beyond Desmond Ritter this year for that team if there if it is it's going to be someone nobody saw coming and turns out to be just saying, Desmond Ritter's making my dog try to spit up in the background here. I mean, yeah. you, you know, but like yeah. that's, that's that was rough. a choice.
1: That was definitely a choice to yeah. roll into the season with like, we'll go as far as Desmond Ritter can take us. Okay.
0: Yeah, and it's and especially when it looks to me like they're putting some guardrails on on that offense to protect him, you're just literally handcuffing two really dynamic talents who you know it's not working out so eventually what's going to happen is Arthur Smith's going to get fired if Desmond Ritter does not improve um or they or he hasn't made a deal with the devil and can get rid of Desmond Ritter quickly and find himself a better quarterback immediately and there's some there's some potential there um for that out with him because Desmond Ritter was a what a third round pick so Mm -hmm. it wasn't like they used a first round pick on him as a result of that. So with London, I'm I too agree that if you're if you play dynasty where you're like, look, I'm going to I'm going to build a little bit more and wait for guys to develop who I know or guys to get opportunities that I know are worth it and I've got a good balance with my team, there's no way I would trade Drake London. Um if I if I was in a win now mode, and I know that my team is probably in a place where I might be rebuilding a fair bit of it, but I feel like I need a player who's gonna give me a little bit of a chance to give me some really strong flex play or bye week opportunities. I would probably roll with Zay Flowers, mainly because I think Flowers, while not as physical, not nearly as physical as Drake London can be, is, you know, can actually win in the vertical game uncontested routes in the way that a lot of small receivers who are stars can do and he gives you multiple paths to win because he can play inside and outside for you and that you know he may be he was one of the three most dynamic open field players with the ball in their hands in this class and the other two were you know Tank Dell and Tajay Spears so you know for me He gives you that puncher's chance this year that Drake London doesn't. But if you're playing in the way that I think, I I have the same sensibilities about Dynasty as you do, I think in in many respects. If you're playing that way, um, there's no fucking way I'm trading Drake London right now. I would, you know, though Flowers is, Flowers is a, he would make me think about it because I do like Flowers. Um, and I think yeah.
1: the, the big difference here is you had them very close before Week One, right? Yes. Like you're not reacting to Week One. No. Ultimately, I don't think Week One should move us off of our prior opinion. If you preferred, if you if you legitimately preferred Zay Flowers to Drake London before the season, the, great. Go yeah. ahead and trade him for that. Yeah. But the real question is, if you legitimately preferred Zay Flowers to Drake London before the season, why didn't you trade Drake London for Zay Flowers and extra before the season when that was sitting there? Right, like why, if, if if you were that high on Flowers or that down on London, why is London still on your team and why is Flowers
0: not? And I think this is a, just before you say your next piece, I think that the answer to that in that rhetorical question is even though, you know, would be because most people aren't confident in how they view players. and True. I And I would encourage people to be confident in how you view players. Because you're going to have massive screw-ups, and you're going to learn something from it if you're really trying to get better and trying to learn.
1: And one piece of advice I'd give there, because I I completely get that. I've been doing this for a lot of years, and I've had – I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I've had a lot of success in Dynasty. And I still – just as a guardrail, I, I actively make sure that I don't become overconfident in my own evaluation. So if my evaluation says something that differs from the market substantially, and it, and it frequently does, I will try to make a move to that, but I will try to make it at market rates. So like, let's say I prefer flowers to London straight up before the season. I'm not going to trade London for flowers because that's not what the market is. The market at the time is I could trade London for flowers and maybe a late first or I could trade London for flowers in two seconds. And so I'm gonna try and get that deal because if I'm right, that's extra profit for me. And if I'm wrong, I'm still at least breaking even. If, if we assume that the market is 50-50, my downside is if I'm wrong, I'm still not any worse off. Yeah. And but- if I'm right, I'm better off. So, so if you do have one of these heterodox opinions, maybe you think that Kyron Williams is the best running back in the NFL or something. You know I'm not going to make fun of you for whatever you believe. Believe what you believe, and that's awesome. If you have, um, I don't know, like Ramondre Stevenson, and you think that Kyron Williams is just a dramatically better running back than than Ramondre Stevenson, and you want Kyron Williams on your team um, because it's important to get guys that you like rooting for, and you want to trade Stevenson for Kyron Williams, do that. But look at what look at what Ramondre Stevenson is getting in trade and try to get a package like that. Don't go for, for, uh, don't go for um, Stevenson for Williams, go for Stevenson for Williams in a first or something, whatever the, whatever the market value is. Um, and it really, it lets you make bold calls without actually taking the risk of making a bold call.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great lesson. It was one of the first lessons I learned in Dynasty about 25, 30, 25 years ago maybe when I had Michael Vick and for, I was so in love with Byron Leftwich from college. With the whole Marshall getting carried on his shoulder, you know, on his lineman's shoulder story, epic moment. Story, like, epic one moment. of the
1: greatest sports moments of all time. Yeah,
0: him in the shootout with David Garrard, who turned out to be a better quarterback, actually, ironically, for the same team. Um, it, you know, it was like one of those things. And I traded away Michael Vick for for um, for Leftwich early on. You know and really didn't get enough for him I mean so much so it was so such a bad trade that I mean everyone recognized how bad it was and was upset with the with the deal and I just said you know look I this is how I feel about it and I want to give that a shot and you know I'm sure there are still someone in that league to this day they'll go that guy that guy what does that guy know he traded away Michael Vick for for um, Byron Leftwich and look what he's doing now you know that just tells me none of these guys know what they're doing you know now again that was 25 years you know that was half my life ago um you know when that happened and but the thing is is you've got to be willing to take approaches and not be scared to keep trying something you know learning from it because if you're gonna be if you're worried about how it's going to look and I think a lot of people do this especially they spend so much time on social media it's like a big lunchroom you know high school lunchroom table that they spend so much time obsessing about how the optics are going to be about something that they don't actually give it the honest try to to test something and learn from it. And the people who actually have a lot of success tend to be folks who end up making big mistakes and they continue to they just continue to work through it and i think that there sometimes we don't even think about that we just go, oh i wouldn't do that that's crazy well why is it why is it crazy you you like this guy you, you you know you feel this well man my i will never hear the end of it from my league mates you know what you might not but if you keep plug you know plugging through you may never also hear at the end of it from your league mates when you like win their win the league three times in a row and have like win every single category of money and you can say yeah i also i also did x y and z you know but that gave you a good lesson to learn from it i mean i i think about i think about my evaluations of blaine gabbert and how much i i really loved blaine gabbert as a prospect and if i just quit then then i would have never had good evaluations I think the universe of Patrick is trying Moles. to make you a Jaguars
1: fan. I yeah, think yeah, the universe exactly. is trying to turn you into a Jaguars. It was.
0: Fan. I think I was a Duvall guy early on. I don't know what it was, you know, but uh but I you know, it 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 certainly helped me with my future quarterback evaluations and who to avoid in addition to who to covet. And you know, that's that's part of it. You've got to you know, you got to push through with that. So yeah
1: i uh, i keep a thread on twitter um that i called brief history of my terrible trades thread <laughs> um and i won four titles uh, so in my in my first dynasty league and it's 13 season i won my fourth title and so as a celebration of that i'm like here is a list of some of the trades i've made along the way and it's just brutal horrible like soul crushing you would think team destroying trades but like i said it, i'm on my fourth title in 13 years, um, and I keep the thread maintained because I think it's important to remember that like success is not never failing, especially in dynasty. Success is winning 60% of the time and losing 40% of the time. And um, you know, I've had other trades that many people predicted would be on that list. I had a contending team that was projected to be the top team. Um, in the league that traded the number one running back and the number one wide receiver in the league on the eve of the season um, for a rookie. And the number one running back and the number one wide receiver were Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, who held out an entire season, never played again, and who lasted one more season and then just went completely off the rails. And the rookie was Saquon Barkley. And I got a bunch of other picks back too. And people were predicting, like, you just destroyed your team why are you not contending for a title? And I was trusting my evaluation and that wound up being, you know, one of the best trades I've ever made, but I'm going to retweet the terrible trade thread on Twitter. So if anybody wants to see some of the, like I once gave AJ green, Demarius Thomas and change for Maurice Jones drew and a first. And that was like Maurice Jones drew lasted one more season and was out of the NFL. And then AJ green and Demarius Thomas became AJ green and Demarius Thomas. Uh, Oh, and that first became Justin Blackman. So that was not, that was not a good trade for me, but you can't be afraid to make bad trades. Otherwise you're not going to make good trades either.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's, and I think that's probably, you know, if I were these days, if I were shopping around for, you know, content, I would probably shop around for people who've been doing it a while and talk about these types of things about their learning process a little bit. It kind of gives you a little bit of background because you know sometimes it's all about you know be right be right i'm you know i'm perfect i'm right it comes across that way even if people don't intend to do that you know because of the pressure to feel like that they need to get some play they need to get clicks in order to do that they need to look right on everything so um you know it's definitely a valuable thing let's let's talk about some on yeah go ahead
1: I was about to say, I actually, somebody on Twitter, when I was doing that whole, like, I'm begging you not to trade Drake London for Zay Flowers thing, somebody said, like, oh, I hate, you know, like, overconfident analysts where, like, like, Zay Flowers could be better. And I, I, you know, I wanted to acknowledge that, like, yes, I hear you, you're absolutely right. When I say I'm begging you not to trade Drake London for Zay Flowers, I'm not saying that Drake London is better than Zay Flowers. I think maybe it's like 60-40. At this point, if I were setting odds, I'd say there's a 40% chance that, say, Flowers winds up better, maybe even substantially better in Dynasty than Drake London. But the thing is, to me, 60-40 calls, like, those are strong calls. You need to be confident in the 60-40 calls because you're not getting 70-30 or 80-20 calls in Dynasty. It's too hard for that. 60-40 is as good as you're going to get. And then also, I think that the way in which Flowers surpassed London in popular opinion was a process error. I mean, if he's better, he's not moving ahead of London for the right reasons. Right. And, and like, even, even if I'm wrong, I'm very confident that's a process error, that this is not the right reason to be doing this for. We, we should not be doing this. This is not a rule or a reaction that is going to serve our team in good standing if we keep following it year after year after year, this is not going to be good for us. Like, don't do this. If you liked London a lot better a week ago, and and the thing too is, like, people, it it speaks a lot to our overconfidence. Like, everybody's like, I don't see a path to production for London in this offense with Desmond Ritter. In the four games Ritter started last year, London was on pace for 1,400 yards. Uh,
0: we just don't know. Uh, no, I, I know. listen, listen. And, it, and it's at the highest levels of people of knowledge of football. I, I'm not going to say who, because I just don't think it's probably right to do this. But I'll say a former NFL defender. I remember when I liked Nick Chubb slightly more than Saquon Barkley. And after the first few games, that defender was like, I don't see how anyone could think that Nick Chubb is any good. I mean like um and he's a fairly prominent former NFL player um who who thought this who would have been tackling Nick Chubb you know if he was still playing and I remember seeing that and someone bringing it up to me and and I said privately you know and that's why I'm not going to say it because I mean I'm sure I know he has a, a strong knowledge base he's a you know but but I laughed, I wrote, I wrote to the person. I said, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He spends too much time tackling guys, not and, and really not the right guys. You know, he, he spends more time tackling other positions than he does this one. And he probably makes business decisions on this one, you know, just being a, a smart ass, you know, but that's the thing. People will look at that and, and think, well, that's a definitive opinion from someone who would know you're right nobody really knows some of the go back and look at some of the you know even quarterback um, former quarterbacks who come and do these tapes they do a great job of educating you about route concepts and route depths and coverage and how you know how the coverage is defined and that's great but it's like a liter literary teacher a literature teacher you know teaching you about Faulkner but couldn't, couldn't even write remotely like Faulkner on his best day. Um, you know, and that's something that you have to understand is that sometimes people understand, people understand what good, um, what the structures are that make sense. All the literary devices and tools that, that, that you can identify in a book, but at the same time they might not be able to identify what a great writer is until other people say that the writer is great. and, and, or might not be able to see it ahead of time and see the the markers that say, this is where that writer is going. This is how they're developing and this is the path they're taking and they're going to be good if they continue to write. And I think that that's, there's a skill in that, that is sometimes not, not seen. So most of us don't really know. And even those of us who are trying to know, um, you know, it's a lifelong learning process and you're going to make mistakes on the way through. So it's, it, it, yeah, I, I think that's a very good point.
1: I do have to put you on the spot before we move on. And I know you hate this and that's partly why I'm doing it just because I think that's kind of fun to watch you squirm a bit, but, uh, Zay Flowers and Drake London, you say they're pretty close for you in Dynasty. That's great. How many receivers would you have over them? Roughly. You know, I, I hate the whole ranking and listing and cause it's sure. I mean, I I I feel like a ranking collapses NFL down to like a two-dimensional thing, whereas it's really more of a three-dimensional thing. But people love the the ranking.
0: For the sake of the exercise. Got to think of the people. That's right. We've got to think of the people every once in a while because, you know, we're selfish bastards when it comes to everything else. So I'd have Jackson Smith and Jigba over Zake Flowers, um, mainly because I think there are multiple ways for him to win, and I think that he eventually we're going to see that work out. Um, over London
1: too. I mean, are we stipulating yeah, over that London hours are basically the same? Yeah. In your rankings. Okay. Yeah.
0: Over London, and then I'm going to look and see where I can find my rankings with London. I have it all on one sheet here. Okay. Chris Olave, absolutely. For sure. No okay. question. So that those those two, um, you know, now that now that I've seen where Garrett Wilson has gone and what he's been able to do. In a in a vacuum, I would put Garrett Wilson over them right now. Um, again, this is one of those you want it, It's that's a more interesting <laughs> question that I won't get too far into. But I'll say, in theory, the way we're talking, you put Garrett Wilson over them. In the practice of how the Jets have been historically, I would say what can go wrong will go wrong with the <laughs> New York Jets. So he needs to get the he needs to get out of there for me to feel better about that. And then of course you know from a few years back i'd put cd lamb over him um i would probably put let's see um, waddle and smith i would put waddle chase um and that's it i would probably not put smith over him i would i would actually i would i feel like devonta smith needs a second guy to be great as good as he is I feel like Drake London is more standalone. I feel like yeah. Zay Flowers is more standalone. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, that this we've talked about four to six players, maybe. I can't keep count. Right. That was about well,
1: and, and like the old guys, someone like Stephon Diggs or Devontae Adams, like the or or um, Tyreek Hill, I feel like they're just a different category. Like the, everybody agrees. That's why I'm saying if yeah. you want to trade. Um, Zay Flowers or Calvin Ridley. like I get it because they're different types of assets. Everybody agrees that these guys are going to be way more productive in the short term. Everybody agrees that this guy has a lot more upside in the long term because the other guys are 30. And and even good wide receivers these days are not making it much past 30. You know, three or four years left maybe if you're lucky. Um, so yeah, to me a question like Stefan Diggs versus Drake London. That's not an interesting question because the answer is that really depends on your team, your philosophy, what you're going for there. But I, I do, I, for me, it's very clarifying whenever it comes down to like putting names on the board and comparing like first, like, um, and, and uh, that's kind of why I keep getting hung up on the flowers versus London thing, because in a lot of ways, they're very, very similar. I don't think either is going to be that productive this year. They're both in like run first offenses. They're both, um, young actually london is the younger of the two believe it or not um i don't know
0: yeah i mean i think it to me it's just to me i think it's about how ultimately again adam makes the best point is how you viewed the players well before what happened in week one and if they're even for you then really what's gonna help your team immediately if you believe in both equally. That's where I would be. Like I believe in both to the point that I go, is my team am I competing? Like I'm in the football guys, you know, the football guys dynasty league with IDP. Um and I have a you know I have a ton of receivers and that's the strength of my team. Um and I'm still a a decent scorer and I think I have a shot. Um would I would I keep if I had Drake London on that team would I keep him would I try and trade for Zay Flowers? Probably not. I'd probably keep Drake London. But if I if I didn't have depth at receiver and I feel you know I have like four good receivers but I like to have seven you know because <laughs> I'm greedy that way then you know I like to leverage strengths like for me it's like I feel like I do pretty good with linebackers usually this is a down year for linebackers for my squad right now but I did get Ivan Pace and and you know for essentially for free and and he's already he's already doing pretty well we'll see if it stays but like um you know if I didn't have I like to have a lot of receivers because I feel like I can leverage that for trades um and and then I'm I'm pretty good at picking receivers so why not leverage that strength to get known quantities and other at other positions but like if I didn't have that yeah I would I, I and I needed that fifth or sixth guy I might go yeah you know what let's Let's, let's roll the dice and, and make a deal, see if I can get him to hit this year a little bit more often than I, than I expect Drake London to. But it's really about if you're playing redraft, you're play, you're posing as a redraft player in Dynasty this year because you're in win-now mode. That's that Although I'd it. say two.
1: Football guys' projections I was looking at... Um. I think they have London at, like, wide receiver 42 for the rest of the year and Flowers at, like, wide receiver 34. So, yeah, Flowers is better. But realistically, how much? 34, 42. N- neither of them is helping you. You know, yeah. basically winning, you need a difference maker. You know, the top 20 guys are helping you win. Everybody else is just kind of keeping you afloat. If I could
0: summon my Sigmund Bloom, but I don't have enough hair right now to do it, is that um, I would say. But, yeah, but the upside potential for zay flowers is much higher you could see a scenario where the stars align and jim jones gives you the kool-aid and you kind of figure out that there's this opportunity for flowers to actually vault over the other three receivers who might matter and become the main guy in this offense in a way that i think with drake london you can't do that unless there's a quarterback and a coaching philosophy change um so yeah, that would be my best one to do with that. But I, mean, I, I don't know, I think for me
1: it might just be my bias towards these like um, kind of one-on-one iso type players who can just like win on their own through sheer force of will. I, I think I see an easier path to relevance for London than I do for yeah. for Flowers where and also like I'm I'm a huge, huge, huge Mark Andrews fan and I look at that offense and Andrews just looms like a major obstacle
0: and you're not a shiny happy toy addict like bloom is where I always used to joke he called me the wet blanket and I always said he liked the shiny wet the shiny um toys that were all buzzy looking and it's always it was speed like I feel like bloom's thumb goes in his mouth when he sees quick (laughs) speedy players you, you know and that's And in the same way that my thumb probably goes in my mouth when I see running backs who can run over people. Um, so it's, you know, that's the way, that's the way that works and we understand our biases. So yeah. Um, fun discussion for sure. Let's wrap this up with maybe like a few questions that we, we have for teams and see, you know, the teams have some questions and how we are anticipating or hope that they might answer them. Um, As the season goes along, that might benefit somebody or us, hopefully, in fantasy. Yeah, I'm pulling up a list of teams. All right.
1: I have a question. Okay. Do the Packers actually have, like, a wide receiver core this year? Like, I'm looking (laughs) at it, and and I'm kind of talking myself into, like, you know, Dubs looks like he might have taken a step, and Watson was really dynamic, and I like Jaden Reed, and... You know, Jordan Love, he's still kind of this unknown. He's kind of been a punchline to this point. But, like, that's one of those offenses where if I could only know the outcome of one offense, like if I could know one statistic about one offense, I would want to know how many yards do the Packers pass for? Because I think that tells us so much about – they just have so many question marks that could be resolved in the positive or the negative. And I am really, really fascinated to see – what green bay's offense shapes up like as the year goes on
0: i think that's a great one because you know i agree i thought i i profiled dubs on mon, on monday um the top 10 um because he did look like he took another step forward with his with his hands position at the catch point his biggest thing was ninety ninety five percent of his game looked starter ready and then the final five percent is the hardest 5%, you know, being able to, you know, be on the same page with the quarterback with route adjustments. Um, and then at the catch point against tight coverage, did he know how to position his body correctly and get his hands in the right attack position to win those balls? And the answers were no last year. This year, it's looking better. And so if he can, if he can consistently do that, and I would be willing to make the bet that he will, you know, he's going to have a strong year. Jordan Love, there's a lot, you know, listen. I, You can tell he's far more confident with the things that an NFL quarterback in his rookie year isn't confident about. Um, even if this is essentially his rookie year with games started. Um, so the confidence factor is huge. He understands things in a way that I wish more quarterbacks would sit for this this very reason and get some intermittent playing time. The things that I'm not sure about is that he had a lot of, um, schematically a lot of easy third and fourth down situations in the Bears game last week um, that were like, as, as one of my listeners or or readers um, commented on Twitter, when I was showing a play, he said, his point of view was, it was like the, it was like the Packers set up the puzzle and created a, a puzzle where there were missing pieces but the pieces were so distinctive the openings were so distinctive in the coverage that you automatically knew which puzzle piece to put in there and that and that jordan love really had had an e you know there were easy solutions for him on third and fourth down so you can look at his perfect quarterback rating that he had on those in those situations and say that's great but let's remember these receivers are still kind of young he's still kind of young The Bears defense is kind of bad and and so or had a very bad day and and it all was a confluence of factors that worked together in the same way that a confluence of factors was bad for the Kansas City Chiefs wide receiving core um, last week and things didn't work out well for really almost anybody other than Marcus Valdez-Scantling on a fantastic catch but even then you're looking at two two catches on the day. So for me, the fun question is who emerges in the Kansas City receiving core beyond Travis Kelsey. And I know that it's the the, the the regular answer for most people is just give up because it's probably gonna be a different person every week type of thing. Um, but I do believe that the reason the third year wide receiver theory probably is no longer a, a, a big thing for people to to look at in fantasy is because we saw fewer and fewer true west coast offenses in the NFL. When you were in a true west coast offense it took a few years to actually learn how to run the routes and have the right timing and I would recommend this. I was watching this this morning. Steve Smith talking about the um the Kansas City Chiefs offense with um, Hayden Winks who I almost thought was um Davis Maddock for a minute because he was wearing this golf cap with the with the long hair you know shout out to Davis and and shout out to to to, um Hayden I was gonna I was if I had if I had one of my wife's wigs I was gonna put it on under my hat and, and introduce myself as as Hayden Winks this morning but I just couldn't I didn't have the time um to do it but the uh but Smith did a great job of highlighting things on that level and he's of course he, you can tell that maybe they coached him a little bit. Somebody coached him a little bit to be a little more sympathetic to these young receivers or he heard some feedback from his guys who, you know, in the league, which I love a Steve Smith for him being that kind of blunt all the time. But I did I did appreciate too that he was taking a more sympathetic view of like, listen, we control these guys and it, but it doesn't work out. At the end of the day, let's talk about why things are hard? Why it's problematic? What are the challenges? Where these got you know? And that they're not consistent yet, but it takes time to develop this timing. And here's why. And he gave technical reasons why. So I would highly recommend that underdog podcast with Smith and Winks on the Kansas City Chiefs game. Um, but with that said, the ants. You know, I'm interested in who's gonna who's gonna emerge there. I'm still look. I'm still confident in Kadarius Tony. It was an awful game. Um he he it was like he forgot how to use his hands. Confident in his talent. Yeah. Yeah. But Yeah, I'm, I mean it's
1: confidence in Kadarius Tony and his health, I think, is a complete. Yeah, or
0: maturity question. is another. Or maturity. Yes.
1: But, but but talent I, on the field, absolutely. Yeah. I'm right,
0: still right? I, I'm still invested. I'm still rolling with them because at this point, no one's gonna, you know, if there's a player whose value sunk worse in this reactionary week that week one often is and week two in the aftermath it's Kadarius Toney but I I think that a lot of what happened is that what could go wrong did go wrong and then it cascaded um, further with his game in situations where he just made mistakes that you don't normally see from a player and so when people say oh you know he's a gadget player and you know, there's just been a few game. There's been a few games where you could see the potential for what he really is. I would actually say the truth is is the Giants game versus the Dallas Cowboys game. That's the truth. Um, but what's also the truth is is he willing to work, um, and can he keep his head about him? And if he does, then he's that player. If he, and can he stay on the field and yeah, can he stay healthy? Yeah, and if, exactly. And if he doesn't, then yeah, that's an issue. So that's one of mine. What's another one of yours?
1: Um, speaking of the Chiefs, the only Chiefs receiver I have in any of my leagues, um, and it's not it, just by chance. It's not like I'm avoiding the Chiefs because obviously that would be dumb. But the only guy I wound up with was Justin Ross, who I think, like, of the five options is probably the least likely. Um, and maybe I should, like, like objectively I should move on. But, like, I am rooting so hard for that Me to too. be to be true, <laughs> for him to hit. Where, like... The, the the expected value of doing something slightly more optimal with that roster spot is like a nickel, you know. It's like I can get I can squeeze an extra five extra cents out of this roster spot, but like screw it, I just want to hold Justin Ross and see what happens. Like like, if it doesn't hit, and it in all likelihood it probably won't. As good as he was in college, like the reality is he he was undrafted. There's still. Some health concerns were in uncharted territory there. He's he's legitimately buried on the depth chart. He made the team, which was a fantastic first step, but like he's not getting on the field, and it's probably not going to be him, but oh my god, I want so badly for it to be him. So we're holding Justin Ross and we're 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 hoping there. Um all right, other unanswered questions. Um, not a question, just a comment. I love the Saints passing game this year.
0: Um Me and too. Derek
1: Carr was a punchline for such a long time. People don't know this. He had the worst era-adjusted yards per attempt of any rookie quarterback in history. Um, If you adjust for, like, the league average yards per attempt, he had the worst in history. And it wasn't that he had an atrocious rookie year because he was, like, fine at avoiding interceptions and he was fine at avoiding sacks and he was fine at everything except actually moving the ball down the field where he was the worst in history. And that was the knock on his game for the longest time that, like... He's captain checkdown check down. He, like, he can't even see further than 10 yards. And he just, he's constitutionally incapable of taking a risk. And defenses will kill you for that in the NFL. And so even when he had that, like, the that mini MVP hype and that was, like, 2016 or something where he had the strong start to the season, um, even then I was never a Derek Carr fan. And then the hype train kind of moved on and Gruden got his hands on him. And I don't know what Gruden did to him, but Gruden convinced him that, like, sometimes you need to take chances and he he had the arm to do it he just wasn't doing it and quarterbacks don't usually change who they are but the two counter examples i give is ben roethlisberger learned to stop taking sacks and Derek carr learned to see down the field and the past three or four years he's taken shots you know with henry ruggs he was taking some deep shots and um was it nelson aguilar had that really weird season as a deep threat in in oakland and um, that's carrying over to the Saints, and you see him, like, taking these deep shots to Rahid Shaheed and and you see Chris Alave running deep routes, and you know it's not just like a... I mean, I felt like running deep routes in in Oakland early in Carr's career was probably, like, a punishment, because, you know, that's just wind sprints. You know, if you make the coach mad, he's going to sign you a bunch of deep routes, and you know Derek Carr's not going to look your way the whole game. But now those aren't wind sprints. You know every single one of them is viable. Um, and it just makes a more dynamic and more fun offense and just the receivers um new orleans has always been really good about receivers with different strengths that like interlock and overlap uh interlock instead of overlapping like i I feel like most teams tend to gravitate towards similar types of receivers um and new orleans had like archetypes that it liked but it would only have like one of each archetype at a time and they just play really well together um and so i i'm Excited to see, you know, Thomas back and Olave. And fun trivia question, Chris Olave and Michael Thomas are the only players in history to top 40 receiving yards in each of their first 16 games. Um, They're they're just like super consistent. And then you add um, Shahid is like this dynamic um, wild card over the top. And that's just such a fun... Other than Olave, who I think is a genuine superstar... Thomas absolutely was. I don't know if he's there anymore. I don't think it necessarily has the talent of some of the other top passing offenses. Like Miami I think has much more talent and is
0: a much more dynamic and and um, I don't know if there will be they will be mentioned among the top 5 ever I think when it's all over with.
1: Quite possibly. And yeah. I'm a
0: huge McDaniel
1: fan. I think the guy is, yeah. um, and I, I've definitely got complaints with McDaniel and how he handled two his concussions last year was, I think, horrible. And I hope that was a learning experience for him. Right. Um, and But he's a smart guy and I think he learns from learning experiences. But man, um, I, am, I wish so badly that my Denver Broncos had gotten Mike McDaniel as a head coach because I think that guy is going to be a superstar in the league for the next 20 years. And and the Dolphins are going to be an all-time great. New Orleans isn't that. Um, other than Olave, I don't think the Saints have anybody who could hang with, like, the Dolphins. But um, they're just so, like, conceptually, like, well-constructed. I feel like they are doing the most with what they have. Um, and I'm really excited to see what they look like this year.
0: Listen, first article I wrote in June that actually had to do with Fantasy and not scouting players was how Rashid Shahid could be the final piece to the puzzle for the Saints to be the surprise offense of the league. Mainly because you look at Shahid, he might be the guy that could speed-wise could run with the Dolphins' um, wide receivers, but conceptually they can do enough with their team um, to you know he helps spread the field both vertically. And horizontally. And when you can get the vertical and horizontal spread simultaneously on plays that defenses have to respect, defenses combust. You're going to find openings, and that and that even a guy like you know Carr can open. When I say even a guy like Carr, I agree with you. He's gotten better. I mean, I was down on him as a as a prospect. And I think that he's, and, and I agree it was under Gruden that he became a better quarterback to the point the past two years, I would look up and go, why am I recommending David Carr offenses? Like I, I'm i sitting here writing these pieces and going, I can't, you know, I, you know, I would let, just laugh to myself and go, you see how things change? Because I would have thought, you know, I would have thought eight years ago or however long ago it was that I would not be recommending this. Um, yeah.
1: If if you're not going to be great, like at least be interesting. And I feel like Carr now is interesting in, in yeah. a way that like, I don't, I don't even mean that. I feel like that sounds like a backhanded compliment, but, but I don't even really mean it that way. I feel like, um, you know, if you're interesting, defenses have to work harder against you, that you've got more tools, you got more clubs in your bag. You can hit your way out of more situations. Um, and he's not great. He's not, A top 10 quarterback in the nfl he's probably in that like 16 to 11 range um he's a good quarterback but i think he's a lot more interesting than a lot of the guys around him and i think that he can probably stress a defense and and um keep an offense afloat in situations that maybe a comparably good quarterback wouldn't really give them a puncher's chance
0: he used to be a very reactive player that when pressure got to him he would make wildly bad decisions and people always get down on that but so did Kirk Cousins so did John Elway so did a lot of players where pressure gets to them but i'll say this he didn't have a left tackle last week trevor penning was the worst player on any field um in the nfl last week and maybe penning will get better they're very confident in him but he was struggling hard against arden key to the point that i mean you could have a you had a you could compile an easy low light compilation just from that game and go, how did the Saints win this game? And Carr, And then even after that, Carr got hit by Al Shahir in a manner where Shahir, Shahir gets his hand up, puts it on the helmet, and then when he feels the helmet up against his forearm, balls his fists up and says, well, if I'm going to get a penalty, I might as well get it for everything it's worth, and then really just jabs it in there to the nth degree I'm surprised he didn't get ejected for that, um, but they probably just didn't see as you couldn't see it on a replay. As you know, if they had if they could review a penalty like that on a replay, they would have ejected him if they had seen that. It was just too much of a bang bang moment to see the subtle change to go. Oh, I did make okay. Might as well, you know. But uh, but Carr, man, I mean, he's gotten tougher. He's got he's still going to make some of those mistakes with under pressure like a lot of quarterbacks do but he doesn't automatically combust like he used to and with the way they can be inventive with these players you know listen you can they figured out in the third quarter pete carmichael figured out oh i need to start chipping these defenders for the our left tackle it means we can't be as wide open with our offense as we would like but we'll figure that out And they seem confident that penning's going to get better if he does the Saints could be. I think the Saints could be the surprise team of the NFC, um, and the, one of the an offense that supports three or four fantasy starters in the passing game.
1: Yeah, I mean, imagine
0: once Kamara's
1: back and he's running because um, I don't. You know, Kamara's getting up there in years, but I still think again he's one of the the most interesting underneath receivers, guy with the ball in his hands, just adding another dimension. And another thing about Carr, it's very easy to evaluate him on film and we can look at what he can do and what he can't do on the field. Um, but over the last five years, I've come to realize like, he's probably one of the best quarterbacks, like off the field, like from, from Monday to Saturday, he's probably one of the best Monday to Saturday quarterbacks quality. in the league. Yeah. And I, if I were a wide receiver and I could like play with anybody in the NFL, like, yes, I want to play with Patrick Mahomes. Absolutely. I want to play with Patrick Mahomes, but like Derek Carr would be one of those guys I I want to play with. Yeah. And I, I love watching there's a clip of him um, with Shahid and they're talking on the sidelines and he's telling the coach, like, just put the go in. Like, Shahid, you're going to be open and um, just put the go in we're, it was third and long. And he's like, we're running the go to Shahid. And he tells Shahid, like, you just run the shit out of this route. You run it, just run as fast as you can. I'm going to get the ball to you. And he gets the ball to him. And just, like, the joy on his face celebrating Shahid's success there. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I have to say, I think... His response to the tragedy, the the, uh, the Henry Ruggs situation, um, I think was one of the most impressive things I've seen from a player where he said, like, I don't want to minimize the tragedy. Like, a woman lost her life, and that is horrible, um, and and we need to, like, center that. And, like, everybody needs, like, my heart goes out to her and her family, and this is a tragedy. But also, like, everybody is giving up on, on Henry Ruggs, who's, like, a 23-year-old young man, and he's going to prison um you know like rightly so like he he did this horrible thing and everybody is going to abandon him cuz he doesn't have football now um and he's going to wonder like who he is and he's this this key part of his life that's been part of his life for like 15 years is now being taken away from him and he's going to need people in his corner and i swear i'm going to be one of those people in his corner you know everybody hates on rugs um but i'm going to love rugs until the day he dies and i'm going to be there for him whenever he needs me and i thought it was just incredibly mature and impressive the way that he managed. He didn't make excuses. He didn't apologize. Um, but he basically just said, like, look, this is a flawed person, but I can still, like, love and support this flawed person, even when I'm not getting anything out of it. He's not my receiver. He's not helping my team anymore. But, like, just because it's the right thing for me to do as a, as a compassionate and empathetic human being. Um, and so, yeah, my estimation of Derek Carr, the person, is, is, is sky high. And I
0: so want for him to have that kind of year in New Orleans. Yeah, that's a fantastic thought about Carr, and, and I'm glad that you shared that. And and I can see why people would want to play with him. And, you know, I think of him, Matthew Stafford, is another one just where he puts the ball. Julian Edelman talked about how that in a practice I saw on a quick pod on YouTube where he said, you know, a lot of times in off season receivers work with different quarterbacks just to throw and catch, and their timing is always off. And he goes, and me and Matthew Stafford were just like, he said it was just like we went 50 for 50 and it was like that never happens and and then like afterwards he's like hey man you want to go get a beer you know and he's just like i i felt like i that's a guy i'd want to play for and you know with that on that note you know adam harsted is a guy that i like playing with in these playing podcasts with here you know on a weekly basis and it's a lot of fun you can follow adam at adam harsted on x twitter whatever you call it if they call it pluto like i say you know, I'll still be there at Matt Waldman. You can find me there and, uh, you know, check us out next week and, uh, hope you guys have a better week too. If you didn't have a good week one and, uh, if you did keep on rolling.